Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Anyway, what I was saying earlier was, so... Are we, we on? We are. Almost oh, definitely we are. Oh, damn yeah. it. Son of a bitch. You never really know. We just start the podcast. <laughs> might have been five minutes ago. Might not be for another 10 minutes, but at some point, this podcast will start. It'll just start. I'll, I'll fix it later sometimes. Sometimes I'll just leave it all in there. It's like a good poop. just kind of sneaks up on you. It, it does, yeah. <laughs> they don't really sneak up on me anymore. I just know that as soon as I hit the woods, I'm going to have to poop. <laughs> That's true. If I wake up before dawn, it's happening before seven. Yeah. <laughs> Any other day, it's like like a poop camel. It's like, well, go, <laughs> three, camel. go three or four days. But if I wake up to hunt, if I wake up to hunt, it's like, oh, 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 as soon as you get to stand. I suspect that I have an iodine allergy. Not a severe one. In fact, it's actually awesome because I've noticed that if I eat like a whole bunch of shrimp, and certain fish will do it to me too, but man... 30 minutes later. In fact, it happened. I was here. Didn't I made that shrimp and clam, that shrimp and fish chowder. Oh yeah. 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 And had to get up in the middle of podcast to vacate. <laughs> That's a proper word too. Done. <laughs> so <laughs> sound like, a, sound like an airplane toilet. Sp- speaking Gone. of iodine allergies, I was in there giving blood one time and the guy was like, are you allergic to iodine? I was like, no. And then he goes to wipe my arm. I said, wait a minute. Did you say iodine? <laughs> the look on that man's face is like I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Apparently, it'd be pretty serious. <laughs> but uh, no, so man, we got I had the permit opening weekend, and we got some inside knowledge from people that lived in the area. We were in. Shh, we're at the good spot. Nice. So, um, we got some inside information from people that lived in the area and literally we were hunting less than two miles from his house. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So he knew where the birds were. He told me where to. Well, let me clarify. I found the birds already on my own and then I put them to roost and then I double checked with him on, hey, where are the birds out here? And he was like, here. And I was like, sweet. I've already found them. 
Jordan roosts the birds, and then I took the Friday before the hunt off of work. I roosted them three weeks before. <laughs> so, well, the the thing is though, I took the Friday before the hunt off of work, yeah. and I went out there and I got near the roost. I was inside of four hundred yards, right? Mm-hmm. So I could hear the birds in the roost. And I tried to shot gobble, shot gobble a little bit right before sunrise. Nothing. Right at sunrise, he gobbled off the roost. Never heard another word from him. So I waited 30, 45 minutes. Actually talked to the guy on the phone. He was like, hey, yeah, if you're here on the road, uh, there's actually a little deer trail. It looks like a deer trail. I was like, yeah, I see it. He's like, yeah, I cut that trail. Walk in about 30 yards, it widens out. So I walked that trail back in there, and it takes me to a spot on the edge of this private land. And uh, it was, you could kind of get off to one side of the trail, and you had a spot that was intermittently open. It was open 30 enough. Yards, 30 yards wide, yeah. 40 yards, 50 yards deep. So you could pull birds through the straight wire fence back onto uh, public land and kill a bird. <clears throat> the problem was, there were so many dang pine trees that your field of view once you sat down was 40 yards long, but it was only 10 yards wide, maybe, at best. So we get in there first thing Saturday morning, walk in, we're sat down, decoys out by 5.45, 6 o'clock. So, and our goal was to make sure you treat like duck hunting, man. We're going to be the first ones there, ready to go, go in pitch black. Like, we use the minimal amount of light. We're, like, the tiny flashlight I've got, I'm covering it up where it's just the most tiniest amount of light and only when we absolutely needed it because it was thick woods get in there get sit down get decoys out and i'm like all right man where this bird gobbled up yesterday he should be in the roost you saw him go to we're good to go and it's gonna happen and then right at sunrise we get this That's out. Of, that's that's one clip out of a three-minute long video of them doing that. I, I never, just couldn't send a three-minute long video. We never made a noise. Never made a noise. He gobbled like ten minutes to legal sunrise, and they just hammered back and forth. The one bird was like eighty yards away. When that gobbler gobbled twenty yards to my left, up in a pine tree, I about filled my britches. Nice. <laughs> But and then they hit the ground and hightailed it across that field to a feeder, which we later learned they go over there first thing in the morning, pick up their hens, couple of jakes, and then they come back to that corner. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hear me in the beginning of that video. William doesn't have it, but the full video on my phone. You hear me in the beginning of that video, the first time he gobbles because I'm right next to the camera. You can hear me go, "Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm like, I'm expecting him, like he said, to be 200 yards to the right, and he gobbles. I'm like, we are so screwed. We just walked right underneath him. Oh, but I mean, we did it in such darkness yeah. that he didn't yeah. care. I don't think he, if he had really pegged you as still being there, he wouldn't have been that loud off the track. Oh, no, no, no. He didn't know we were there. The problem was, is we counted on that bird being 200 yards to our right, and the way he was going was he either had to pitch down and get through some seriously tall grass to get back to that corner, which is where I saw him Friday. He would he would either have to walk through some serious tall grass, through a swamp, or down the fire break along the fence, which would have put him right in front of us, just on the other side of the fence at 40 yards. 
within an easy, hey, look at me, hens, you know, two hen decoys and a, and a Jake decoy right there, and get him to cross that straight wire fence and let him have it. The problem was he wasn't 200 yards to our right, so he didn't have to do that. He pitched straight down, knew where he was going, and went there. It seemed to me that you've got enough information that you go back this weekend. and I, If I could, if I would. His permit was there, yeah. You're closed? My permit closed on Tuesday. Some bitch. Yeah. It's permit only. Oh. But, who, who owns a private? <laughs> uh, a hunting lease had a sign out on the post. Of, you know. Yeah. Oh, so it's not even somebody you can go out and beg. No, it I'm, might you know, be. But. I sold uh, probably one of the best turkey hunting properties I've ever seen. It's the first sale I made as an agent. It's 90 acres. Sold it to a super cool dude. He's a Navy vet. And uh, an accountant from Miami come up uh, and bought this. It had cabin in the woods. It was like 23 dry acres, and the remainder was wetlands. And the, the dry acres were islands stuck out. Was that that one where you had swamp. like the, not zip lines or whatever, but I feel like last time you were in, you were telling us about this piece of property no uh, was it an island yeah no okay those are islands in the width of coochie this is actual it's somewhat dry land near jumper creek but it's it's in this these are islands in a slough so they're uh, not literal islands you yeah. can't get a boat around them um and i hit him up and i was like it, it, and he was cool i mean he was a super cool dude long hair so he kind of like uh like sailor hippie type he's really into sailing uh, he's got a couple boats like you know big ones like catches or y'alls or whatever you call them like he's into that and he was telling me about his girlfriend and like she's sure enough like they're super cool dudes but she's like what i call like a a sure enough like long skirt hippie like she's out there just like vibing in the nature and stuff not like the new hipster kind of hippies yeah they're just like super woke but don't do the whole nature thing like she's granola so I, i called and asked about uh you know if he was gonna do anything with the turkeys or whatever he's like those are her pets and uh you know i said those are the luckiest turkeys in all of florida i, said, <laughs> I mean because this place is literally either a turkey hunter's paradise or a turkey lover's sanctuary because that place is slam packed with birds in fact one of the islands was called turkey island and uh they're super cool people i'm like man those turkeys lucked out that your girlfriend loves those birds so much because they come through the yard and you know they're dragon wings and you know fired up and spitting and drumming and yeah yeah so she (laughs) thinks it's cool and i mean it's cool though because those people are going to sit there and they're going to keep that 90 acres as pristine and real and exactly as florida as it is and for as long as they own it i like selling people like that property you know maybe they're not using it like we would use it right but they are using it and protecting it and so you know that's cool that's equally as important man man but god those turkeys lucked out i was hoping he'd be like yeah because he told me they ate all his grass seed the other day when he tried to plant grass and i was like well i'll help you out with that here in a couple days (laughs) (laughs) so i called him and i was like do you need help with that he's like no no those are her pets i was like those are the luckiest turkeys in all of florida so well, before we dive any further into turkey hunting and whatever other stuff we're going to get wrapped up into this evening, uh, I'm your host, Will Krebs. I got Jordan here with me tonight. I'm here. Let's get it. I got Jim. Yes, sir. And I got Vincent Phelps of Whitetail Properties. Hey, yeah. So, and uh, we got some events still coming up, and you guys are listening to this. By the time you hear this, congratulations to the lucky winner of the rifle. I'm not sure who you are yet because this is podcast land and we actually haven't given it away Yeah, as I'm telling you, but by the time you hear this, it will have been given away 
And uh, there's a lucky individual out there who won themselves a nice brand new custom hunting rig. Uh, but we still have a mud motor uh, up for raffle for the crawfish boil. And if and you got uh, if you got blown up via text for the rifle, just expect to have that again for the mud motor because we're fixing to get it gone. We apologize for nothing. Emailing <laughs> <laughs> e- out this evening, but. To be honest, I passed on the rifle because I could probably use five thousand dollars worth of ammunition and like a five hundred dollar rifle before I could use a five thousand dollar rifle. Yeah, but it was a, it was a twenty five dollar yeah. five thousand dollar rifle. Scope, hard case, everything sighted Listen, in. Uh, I'm just you know, if you won, you could. The boil's coming up, and uh, you know, you're gonna save some money to spend on rifles there. Exactly, that's fair. You know. I mean, you want to go fishing, well, hunting, shotguns, <clears throat> all kinds of crazy crap there. You too. have an airboat, but you're down a mud boat. And there happens to be a twenty-three horsepower. Oh yeah, no, I'm getting, I'm getting in on that. I'm getting in on yeah. that. I'm buy myself like a little sixteen forty-four or something and drop that joker on there. I heard it got turboed. Did it get turboed? I don't know, but oh. you know the the, uh. the rate things are going. If we crank it up like we did on the shotgun, by the time this comes oh, out, no. that mud motor will be gone too. I think that oh, was yeah. I think that was one of the other poker mud runs. They they raffled one that got turboed because they make little turbo kits for them. Some of them they do, not all mm-hmm. of them, but some of them they do. So. Who's but, the maker on the mud motor? Is it mud skipper or uh, mud walker? Mud, mud walker. walker. Yeah. You know, I sold a story time. So I got my Ginu. When I got that Ginu, it came with a mud walker frame on it. It's a like 2001 uh, Ginu classic, and I sold that frame for 300 bucks off the back of it to kind of just you know uh, rebate on buying the boat because I was going to put the outboard on it. So I sold it to one of the guys on the Ginu group, and he come in and he was buying it for like a tin boat. <clears throat> Took it back to Mudwalker to get refurnished. He sent me pictures back of it. He said that the manufacturer, the guy who makes the mud, he said this was easily one of the first three that I ever made. He says, I haven't made this like that in almost 20 years. Jesus. He's, wow. he's like, this, was, this is how it was set up on my prototype engine on my very first one. So these were one of the first three in production. Offered to buy it back from him and give him another one instead. And he, he said, no, he had him refurbish it and uh, looks you know brand new now. And it's on the back of a John boat running around somewhere in Florida. That's Michael nice. Kennedy, yeah. correct? Yeah, Michael Kennedy. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was a cool story, though. I was like, man, Michael Kennedy is awesome. a jam-up guy, man. But, so we still have... see, this comes out... Hang on, look at my date real quick. Get a date here. Should still have the Ducks Unlimited dinner. That's not till April 20th. Correct. Yeah. Buy uh, a table. So, yeah, two of us have already bought tables there. That's oh, right, man. but we're looking to fill up uh, one more table with UPO, the UPO faithful. That's right. So yeah, that that you're you're right. All we have left is the Ducks Unlimited dinner and the crawfish, uh, the fifth annual Swanee River fishing expedition is rapidly upon us, and then the crawfish boil. Is the expedition before the boil? It, it is. is. Oh man, when when is that again? Remind May me. May third through the seventh. We're going to want some of those guys to buy their crawfish tickets before they go on the canoe trip. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. About had enough of you by the time they get off the river. I'm not sure they're coming back. Those guys back. are crazy. I'm never coming back again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my buddy, you know, Tyke, he was talking. He's like, man, he just, I, he says, I actually priced out plane tickets to come to the crawfish boil. He's like, but that short round trip and this short a time, he said, nope. 
Where's it Too coming expensive. out of? California. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I fly straight into Raleigh all the time when my wife goes to North Carolina for like 80 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's on Spirit Airlines, so it's like the, the plane is now open, throw hands for seating, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love Spirit, man. It's like taking the bus. That's yeah. what I call it, the Greyhound of like, the sky. I was it's like, telling, get in, sit down, shut up. I was telling somebody uh, the other day when we came home from Texas that we... Uh, like going there, would we fly uh, like American Airlines or something? And you're like, I have live ammo, and they're like opening your box and looking at it, right? And we fly Spirit home, and you're like, Hey, there's live ammo inside that cooler, and they're like, Okay, and then overhand <laughs> toss it like forty feet onto the. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's a commonality here that I think I need to point out, and it's that Spirit is yellow, and so is Waffle House, and I don't think that was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you, you mentioned Texas, and you fly it out of OIA, or OIA, McCoy, or, or Orlando, MCO, I'm sorry. And a little touchy, you know, especially if you don't have TSA locks, you got to go through the whole walk downstairs, and they examine your bags, and um, I don't know, there's definitely a heightened issue around flying with shotguns and rifles. You fly out of Texas, and like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's almost like, you sure you want to pack this? You know? Like, yeah. You sure you don't want to cram, so like, much. you know, four more guns in this case? Or? Those West Texas airports see so many firearms flying in out of them, man. It's you only got no one in deal. here? That was like us yeah. talking to those people. And- so this when we were talking to John and Gypsy, uh, we were on a turkey hunt, and John was saying he was up in South Dakota. I think you got to give you got to give a background to the John we, we, we got to get, we got to get a little further along, and I'll, I'll get into John and Gypsy, but. Uh, that quick story, they were in South Dakota and he found a matching set of elk shits and he comes back and they're like, oh yeah, they let him carry him on his carry on luggage. Nice. He taped in together. <laughs> he said, he said, you'd have thought I had a bar of gold on that airplane. People come through, everybody wants to see it. <laughs> I'm surprised they let him carry it on. There's just a tabloid article of somebody who killed someone with a moose shed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, oh, yeah. So, so antlers are now certified with <laughs> <laughs> dude, that dude, if I understand the story correctly, there was a gentleman who had been paying especially close attention to his daughter, mm-hmm. and he had a, I believe he had been convicted in the past of being a child molester. So, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. this is where it gets a little bit, I don't have all the details, but somehow father and child molester go toe to toe and... I forget what he beat him with first. I think he beat him with a shovel and then finished him off with a moose antler. And Jesus. I, I, the little bit I read, I was just like, if I'm on the jury, nah, not guilty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a perfect application of the he needed killing defense. So, this segment brought to you by Vermeer Wood Chippers. <laughs> but as I understand it, the guy, after he did the fella in with the moose antler, turned himself in. Turns himself in, still covered in the dude's blood. Like, let me tell you I what I've done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You talk about Waffle House. I don't know if you saw my whiskey cup. Yeah, I did see that. My nice Waffle House coffee cup. There you go. Everybody assumes I stole it, but I paid $5 for it. So I you can stop wait, 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 free. You Nobody can ever stopped me. You, yeah. Okay, let me tell you the quick story of the Waffle House coffee cup. We were at a Waffle House in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and we were having breakfast for dinner. And they said, do you want to buy one of our 20th anniversary or limited, some sort of an, some sort of anniversary, whatever it was in 2012. Do you want to buy one of these coffee cups? I said, how much? They said, five bucks. I said, sure. 
So this doesn't look like your average Waffle House coffee cup. This yeah, side does. It says does. 2012. But wow. there's a print on the other side of a Waffle House. Riveting. Listen, yeah. I left a... Uh, since 1950... Fast serving good fast food since 1950... Yeah. Or good food fast since 1955. I left a waitress at Twin Peaks in Knoxville, Tennessee at $25 tip to be able to take every single mug home. And uh, I said, hey, how much... Can, can I take these mugs home? I'll leave you a really good tip. And she's like, how much? I'll give you 25 bucks. She looks back. She goes, manager ain't looking. Go to your truck now. <laughs> well, that was like when so we were... got a bunch of Twin Peak mugs. Anyways, back to turkey hunting. And back to turkey hunting. We got skunked. William screwed us twice, so that's all I got to say. It was not my fault the second time. But definitely was. Well, tell, no. tell us about the first time. Oh, So yeah, the first okay. time was 100% my fault. Okay. First time happened day one. We we leave there. Uh, did we chase another bird the first uh, day? No. Or did we only what chase we that did bird? is we drove around that one bird and decided because there's a small piece of property uh, within this WMA that it's kind of it's landlocked by private land. It's not really land. I mean, one side of it is a, a roadway. The rest of it is private land around it, and there were birds on one side of it, but you could only enter from the far side of it to get to the other side where the birds are. So you would have had to walk far as shit. Through some extremely thick woods. Yeah. And we tried to decide whether or not we wanted to go there for a while. Literally drove side to side on this thing for like probably 20 minutes. And then decided that we weren't going to do it. Started driving back towards the other end of the WMA. And we saw that the birds were making their way towards where we had to That's right. They were going back to the corner. No, we weren't even going to go back there. Except for the fact that we realized, oh, they crap. They were going there. No. We left the box call. Oh, that's right. The box call got left on the ground that morning. So we went back in there to get the box call because it's not my box call. It was Jay's box call. Yeah. So we go wandering back in there to get the box call, and that's when we realized the turkeys are only 150 yards out from the fence. Let's try and call them in. And he was gobbling after 10 o'clock. We had him at 50 yards for a long time, and then he shut up, and then I kind of peeked up. And he was at about 30 yards from the fence and saw me peek up. And no, 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 no. Okay, go ahead. Are you guys on the same hunt? We, we were on we the were. same hunt. He's just going to make it he's, much longer than he's I just, just No, he's just leaving the part out where he said he was at about 30 yards. And uh, what he did was move from one tree to another tree to his right that was about 10 feet away. And when he decided to move those two trees is when that gobbler ran. Right. I stood up. And the bird saw me. It's the same thing. It's material. Yeah. Right. <laughs> same you decided thing. to move. Yeah. Busted. Yeah. And then the the next morning, we decided that we weren't going to go there until 10, Yeah, we didn't go there until after 9 o'clock. He uh, was like 70 yards out. So I belly crawled up, set our decoys, and I was belly crawling back. William started clucking and purring. And uh, it was before I was still moving when he was like clucking and purring. Before I got back, got my stuff, and I got about all my stuff in my hands and went to move towards where I wanted to get set up at, which was right next to William. I look at the fence, and that gobbler is uh, six inches away from the fence, and we're making eye contact, and then he just gone. See, Jordan scared him the second day. But he I just, have, I he just gave, he, I just gave a purpose to the noise, all the racket that Jordan was making. Attracted him. Well, I was sure. I mean, you could have thought it was a hen or a coyote. <laughs> One of the two. 
Turkeys two, Krebs nil. Yeah, still we. That's only on day two. Wait till day three. That <laughs> wasn't our fault. <laughs> no, that no, was no. the morning of day so, two. So, uh, the my highlight of day two, which I have this on audio recording, which I'll have to pull off those mics and, and like publish for you guys to hear. We're walking down. A Were fire we recording break. when I said that? Oh, absolutely! No, huh. no, no. This, this is this is the turtle. Oh, oh! I thought you meant I, we had to have been recording when. Uh, oh, we caught the other yeah! People. Oh, yeah! Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. Anyway, morning of day two, we're walking a fire break in on a different around a different piece of private land, and we waited until right at kind of just before we could where we could barely see, right? Because we didn't know where the birds were. Started walking down the fire break. And as we're walking, I told Jordan, I said, hey, watch out. There's a turtle up there in the trail. And he just, and we're walking along. Hey, there's a turtle in the trail. Watch out. And then he kicks it. I stepped on it. And about come unglued. (laughs) (laughs) It was dead in a doornail, uh, fried nice and crispy by the control burn, (laughs) I assume. But uh, I didn't scream like a girl. It's a good thing. No, he screamed like a grown man, but he still screamed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we ended up going down there, and we bumped some hens out of the tree, out of the roost. So we sat down right there, because we were 150 yards from the gobbler where he was gobbling at. Set our decoys out, sat down, and just started making some soft calls. And then I thought what I heard, because the hens flew to the north, and then from the north, after we got sat down, I started hearing putting, clucking, coming closer to us. And uh, I was like, oh, they're coming back. They're coming back. And then he flew that direction. I was like, oh, he's going to come back. And then all of a sudden, the hen got real close to us and got quiet. Stopped making noise. I'm like, oh, my crap, man. And we sat there for 30 minutes after they after she shut up, just a little bit here, a little bit there, some scratching, some, you know, whatever. And then... Uh, at that point, I had said, listen, there's a, a berm in front of us. Let me, I'm going to try and sneak up to this berm and look over it, see what I can see. And I get to the... We're, we're at a 90 degree turn in a fire break. Yeah. I didn't realize that when I walked up there. But uh, So I get to where I'm like, oh, snap, there's another fire break. So... The first thing I do before I get to the berm is kind of look down the other fire break. As soon as I look down the other fire break, there's a Jake and a hen decoy. And I said, shit. <laughs> I stood up to him. I said, there's other hunters over there. He and then they what? said, we see you. Yeah. <laughs> but they were good guys. Uh, we talked to them for quite a while. Yeah, he was like, man, I'm so, oh, man. He's like, dude, you're, you're calling sounded. He's like, we we're coming to that hen. He said, your calling sounded so good. I, th- I thought you were a real turkey. I was uh, like, no. But that that bird got us there, and then that's when we went back after nine o'clock, and that gobbler was right on top of where we sat the day before, and spotted Jordan. So hard to be patient. And then it, Monday so, they just didn't cooperate. But the thing is, the thing all. is, is sat, you know, Sunday, Saturday we were in, I, I was impatient. Sunday I was fully ready to be patient, but I wanted to give a reason for the noise that Jordan was making. Right, because I know the turkey hears it. It's not like he doesn't know something's going on in the woods, because uh, he was so close to us. And then Monday, we were fully ready to sit there. We literally sat in that spot Monday morning from about nine thirty to almost one in the afternoon. We called in a couple hens. They came and hang out, hung out with us for a while. He never showed up. Monday morning, though, now this right here 
This what happened Monday morning better than any energy drink <laughs> you, you can ever have in your life. We walk the same fire break Monday morning. We walk Sunday hoping to find that gobbler roosted in the same tree. We're going down the fire break. This time we did it in the pitch black because it's good wide fire break. And the gentleman who owned the private property had some cows out there with a donkey. <laughs> and we hit a spot where the field the cows were in to the fence was probably only 30 yards wide before it was palmettos. And pitch black, can't see the cows, didn't realize the donkey was over there. And as we come around the corner, that donkey goes, Ruh! Made like a growling, barkish noise. Really? Oh, God. Yeah. I shit my pants quite literally. <laughs> I came unglued. Jordan's first instinct was with a shotgun in one hand and a hen decoy in the other was to throw, was to think to throw the hen decoy. I don't know why. <laughs> it was even my non-dominant hand. And then I said, I said, I said, it's that damn donkey. Because <laughs> then when I looked to my left, I could see his gray silhouette barely in the starlight. Wow. Oh, my God. Scared me. I've, I don't know that I've ever been had a jump scare that bad. I haven't had a jump scare that bad in a long time. I did the day before when I stepped on the turtle. <laughs> uh, but Monday morning, dude, the, the birds were nowhere near where they were before. We went and sat that other spot for three, four hours, and he never came in. We finally gave up about 2 o'clock. I said, dude, I got baseball practice tonight. We got to get the heck out of here. So Jordan's like. Turkey said the neighborhood's gone to hell. We're leaving. Oh, but here's the thing, Jim. I said, Jordan's like, hey, let's go ride and just see if he's out in the field. Mind you, at like 2 o'clock, we had decided like, piss on it. We're going to walk around. So we did find some really good deer sign. Oh, I know where I'm going to go smoke a fat nanny next year. Yeah. Um, But, and I'm still convinced the size of that deer we saw that jumped, that was a buck. Yeah. And all those rubs that we've seen in there, there's a buck in there. Um, But when we finally left there, a little after two, we drove down to the field, and he was making his way over to it, to that corner. He was just late. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm done. (laughs) Let's go home. And I should have went Wednesday. Jordan would have told me, or Tuesday, Tuesday Jordan yeah. would have told me he wasn't going to work, and going to work, and we'd have been back out there Tuesday. I know. But it is what it is. I had a good time. I learned a lot, had fun. It was a good experience. It and did then, seem about the time that we had finally fully prepared ourselves on what we needed to do and how everything needed to go down that the birds just stopped cooperating. They, they changed patterns. I was like, oh, bitch, this is how it works. So it was the third morning, uh, Monday morning, in between the first sit and second sit when we met John and Gypsy. And I, I told Gypsy, because you know, when we left, they, they're from Louisiana. And, of course, we told them about the crawfish boil. Yeah. And even they were slightly amazed at how much crawfish we're going to have to buy for a crawfish boil, which tells you a lot. Uh-huh. We also pulled the, uh, when they first pulled up to talk, talk to us, we pulled the, the hardcore hunters. We're like, you guys heard or seen anything? No, I ain't seen nothing. Man, we've been chasing bird. We've been trying to find a bird with no luck. But they pulled the check station thing where they sit there, talk to you, talk to you, they talk to you. give you their you. life story. Yeah, and then finally you give up some information. But And I even went so far as to when we left, I like searched up, I found... I. At that time, what I th- who I thought was Gypsy on Facebook, 
And I messaged her. I was like, you need to park here. You need to walk in here. Somebody needs to kill this bird, which is the one we were, we, we've been hunting. Um, but she messaged me back yesterday. Didn't see it till it was too late. Probably didn't have Facebook, oh. but on a computer. Yeah. But uh, so John and Gypsy are both wildlife biologists. One for one. Uh, Gyp- Gypsy works for the national. Gypsy works for the national. Yeah. Uh, and John works for the state of Louisiana. Um, Not a bad contact. To have. They have traveled. What like I think some, he said thirty-five different states. Thirty-five different states hunting together. They killed turkeys for their anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. But they they were quite the duo. They were cool as shit. Yeah, fun to talk to. And I don't remember where we were going with the John and Gypsy story earlier. I just uh, thought it was cool the backstory to him. How I mean it was we were just hanging out, kinda decompressing from being pissed off that the turkey had moved first thing in the morning. And uh, they just pulled up to us and kind of started talking to us. And, like, we have not seen, we have not even heard a gobble. We're like, yeah, you know, it's been tough. I don't know. And then by the end of the conversation, like, once I realized that we weren't coming back on Tuesday and that they had driven all the way from Louisiana to try and kill a bird out there, I was like, listen, we're parked here because there's a bird that hangs out here. If you guys are going to be here in the morning... Try that bird. Mm. So, thinking about the conversation we had with them, I want to talk about some public land etiquette stuff. Because at one point in their trip, they encountered a guy who was uh, defending his spot on public land or defending his buddy's spot by driving up and down the road and attempting to run people off from parking their vehicles and going into the woods. Oh, he cussed them out and everything, yeah. Yeah. That is not the way to be. Especially as, in my opinion, a hunter of the state of Florida, because we pretty much travel outside of the state to hunt just about damn everything, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you're, you, it's it's hard to be. You shouldn't be that way. People come here to hunt turkeys. You know why? Because we're the only place you can kill an Osceola, and we should welcome those people. You don't have to give them your spots, man, but don't be an ass. Yeah. It wasn't even his spot. It was his buddy's spot. Yeah. On public land. Right. They yeah. found a bird, and now this guy's going to go out there and chase everybody off. You can't claim public land. Whoever I just, gets there first I, I hear day, stories like that, and I just, I would love to, not in that situation, but just be able to have a conversation with a guy like that. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, there's, there's absolutely, I understand you're hyped up, but. There's no justification for that. There's no, there, there's no valid justification. There's no reason. You have no leg to stand on. You're just being an asshole. But on that same hand, you are none less the asshole when you, you know, especially when it comes to turkey hunting, you pull up to the fire break and there's already a truck there. And you're like, yeah, I don't care. And then you just wander down through there. Yeah. It, it's it's big woods, but on the same hand, you can pull up a map and go, well, he's at this end. I'm going to try and get him from the other or come in from a different direction. But mm. when somebody's parked there, you know. And, and the guys that ran into us, rightfully so, we parked in one spot. They parked in another, came from the other end of the fire break. We just happened to walk a whole lot further than they did. So I, I can't hate them. I can't, you know, I'm not frustrated with them for it. Yeah. They saw our vehicle and said, ooh, we're going to go somewhere else. And they went down the road another thousand yards yeah park there and just happen to end up in the same spot <clears throat> but it was really part go ahead go no you can go ahead i say i think part of that is 
if you, if you had to guess most of the time, it is um, relatively new hunters. They may even have hunted for several years, but they don't get a chance to hunt that much. Right? So instead of embracing this whole thing from a philosophy of abundance, they're, they're, they are approaching it from a philosophy of, of scarcity and competition. And, you know, but you know, the thing about that is even if you win, you lose because you're out there battling the whole time. I don't mean you're battling the turkeys. You're battling people. You're battling your own emotions. That ain't why we do what we do. At least it's not why I go. I don't go out there to brawl. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So, eh, yeah. little advice, man. Just move. We never ran into anyone else besides that one day. No, and I, but it was really cool. Well, it was, it was actually two separate days because we ran into them. Oh, the on second Sunday. day. Yeah, I was standing yeah. or Monday. I was standing out by the road and they drove past Sunday, and they Monday, stopped yeah. and talked to us. But uh, and it was really cool though because even though I when I first saw those guys, the first thing because I walked back to grab my gun or something. I can't remember what I walked back to grab. Picking up decoys. Yeah. Oh, the decoy bag. That's what it was. I walked back to grab the decoy bag. And, but the first thing that guy said when he came around the corner to you is he immediately started apologizing. He's like, yeah. dude, I'm, I'm really sorry, man. But it is too many times that people run into other people on public land like that, and it just becomes a brawl for no reason. I, I don't know. How, I'd like to hope that those things, those are the rarities. Those are the ones you hear about. Yeah. Because most true. of the time it's, hey, man, where are you going? Oh, sorry, man. We're going to clear out. Good luck. Bye. Well, well, that wraps back into social media, right? Nobody goes on social media and, and uh, tells gives good review. Yeah. Except for Vincent. All the time. <laughs> but, you know, so everybody wants to go on social media to complain. You're going to show where you had a good day or you're going to complain about why your day wasn't your fault. I go on social media because I'm a meme king, so i got to keep up <laughs> Listen, the game. I said something, I sent Vincent something on Marketplace the other day, and then we got into like a two-hour-long conversation sending each other shit on Marketplace. Oh, yeah. I live on Marketplace. <laughs> it's so bad for my carpal tunnel. Should I, should I send him the, the airplane I found? Oh, yeah. For two for grand? sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Vincent and I are both guys that in a conversation can start tracking down rabbit holes, right, so that... You, you were trying to talk about subject A, and before you know it, you're on subject D, and barely even touch subject A. Yeah. When he and I both start talking, we might go for an hour and a half, and we never, we never finished a thought about any one subject. <laughs> you think you could land it on Lake Pan? Bro, it's I'm pretty sure it's a float plane. 100%. It is. Dude, I have actually, so I used to fly <laughs> airplanes in high school. I flew 152s and 172s, and... uh I've been looking up uh, oh, uh, the duck planes from like World War II. I'm like, oh, I want one of those. <laughs> I landed on on Lake Pan. <laughs> I want one of those paragliders where you don't need a license to fly it. It's got the. It's Steve got the, has one. Yeah, Steve Miller. Yeah, just throw up the parachute and the. Gener- I'm thinking about amount of scouting you could get done with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. But try to stop me now. <laughs> I did see some people landing some real small seaplanes on the St. Johns of all places. Really, you know, they're they're one maybe two seaters. They're little ultralights. They're, but man, they you know they I was zipping down the in my, in my G three and they were 
kept making the same pass over a fairly straight piece of river, but they don't meet, need much. Nope. Um, I was real interested in that. I'm not even a pilot. Everybody knows about like the bush pilots from Alaska and what great pilots they are. We're going to start a thing where you just got bush pilots in Florida. We're going to be hopping, you know what's, you know hopping up off of like 50 feet of water. You know what's funny? I, I told my wife, I said, uh, one day, I said, my goal in life is one day when I retire, I'm going to own an airplane. She's like, well, you better get a better job. I was like, okay, wait a minute. I think you mistake what I mean by an airplane. Yeah. Like, I'm talking like a $40,000 Piper Cub. There's the cost of a car. They're more than that, but yeah. yeah you could find it for 40 grand. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, the, the ones that I was flying in high school, you have to rebuild in, uh, airplane engines, like, you know, at a certain number of hours, so the maintenance is pretty expensive. But uh, the ones that I was flying in high school were so rickety. We'd hit turbulence, and I heard something fall, and I turned behind, and like the little panel that covers like the empennage had fallen down and you can see the wires moving the rudders <laughs> I, was, I was like oh that's great you know that's my kind of airplane they, they had like all these little drill holes on the plastic on the wings like the little wing caps had plastic or whatever in them and when a crack starts running they take a drill and drill a hole in it to stop the crack from running and there's little pinholes all over the, the i'm like oh man this is great i want the kind of airplane that makes my life insurance go up that's right (laughs) you know but you you know of all the people sitting at the table the one guy that you just know should absolutely never own an airplane (laughs) oh jordan i thought that was coming my way because listen no listen we'll eventually own one (laughs) he'd be he'd be halfway through a flight and the motor just shuts off he's like he's like ah man you know uh tried to fix it myself but it's all right we can like glide it in that's right man you you gotta hit you gotta hit glide slope we train for that all the time there's going to be a record at some point in Florida for the people that have the, the, the most, not necessarily crash landings, but emergency landings, and I'm going to hold it. There you <laughs> go. The, guy, the guys that are always running out of gas, always having their stuff, things like scuba diving and airplanes are not for you, man. <laughs> Those are the things I want to get into. I like adrenaline rushes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you get man. one. My my brother sent me a picture of someone flying uh, on the beach line, and they drag uh you know the banners behind them, and the dude went up in an airplane. His banner said, "Where's your plane, peasant?" <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen an airplane pick up a banner? Yeah, it's wild. They dude, used to do wicked. it at uh, Merritt Island Airport. We had uh, uh it was uh, runway one one and runway two nine in uh, Merritt Island Airport, and that's where they would fly out to go to Cocoa Beach with the banners, and they, they have them laid out on the ground, and they come into a real low, like, touch-and-go scenario where they're dragging the tail hook, and it picks it up, and they just take off with it. I, wa- I watched them do it one time out at uh, Long- the airport about Long and Scott Farms. Mm-hmm. It's wicked. Yeah, I it's never cool. thought of that. So they don't drag it off the ground. They're coming in. Oh. No, no, they no. take, they off, take off. They do yeah. a lap of the pattern, then they come back down, and it's laid, like, on the side of the runway. And they got a hook in it, hooks it, pulls it out. Yeah, so and then they come back and drop it later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a little dicey. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It sounds like exactly the kind of job I'd be into. I imagine I was, that guys that used to land on carriers are probably the people that do that pretty well. You yeah, know? probably. You know, man, when I was a kid, tell me if I, I'm the only one that, that doesn't share this. I wanted to be a crop duster pilot. Dude, those things are hot rods. Yeah. yeah. Friggin' hot rods. Those things are so op They're, like, super overpowered. They're, they're badass. They got like the full radio, the full radial engines in it where it's got like pistons all the way around it yeah. and stuff. Man, it, they, but watching those guys fly under power lines. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, there's got to be a high mortality mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, dude, there I don't know, man. Dude, not from the chemicals, but from <laughs> <laughs> from taking, getting hit by a guy wire or something. Yeah. I follow well, those guys come on in, TikTok. Yeah, they come in over the tree line, dive down on the field, you know, cover the field at now at seventy five hundred feet, maybe. Mm-hmm. Which it sounds high. That's not like that's thirty we, yards. Hundred. I've had 100 them, feet is thirty yards. I've had them thirty-three yards spraying the fields when I've been up in in Georgia at my lease, man. When they come, they come over our camp. Um, that that play may be a hundred yards, a hundred feet in the air, but you you almost feel like you could jump up and get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he's not a hundred feet, but then they get to the end of the field and they boom, pull straight up. It is it's impressive. I haven't you don't see it too often anymore. So so two sidebars on that. You know that the U.S. military designed a light aircraft uh look this up it's a, a crop duster gunship and they they like sell it to militias it's, it's designed like a warthog it's a close air support like troop support airplane but it's made out of a crop duster oh yeah dude it's a wicked looking yeah that right way. there look at it yeah, yeah there you go that way when you uh you look know, at that thing nativize and recruit dude, the local badass. population you can get is it airborne. not yeah a cockpit on that thing, dude. Look at all the computer screens in it. I know, and it's a crop duster. It it's is a, literally designed around a crop duster. That's the Toyota Helix. Of, it of definitely airplanes. is the of airplanes. Like, that thing reminds me of a meme I saw, and it's like when the ATF's coming down your driveway, and you have your buddy do a close by touch and go, and you hit the clacker on all the fifty gallon drums buried in your driveway. And they, th- <laughs> they think you have close air support. <laughs> Uh, but the coolest spraying scenario I've ever seen was when we had a lease in southeast Georgia, and they were coming to spray herbicide on over uh, newly planted pines, right? Mm-hmm. The dude was doing it in a helicopter. Oh, yeah. So That's they had cool. this tanker truck out there, and they parked it in the middle of our property, and he would come in and just pitch that sucker, lay it down, fill up the tanks, and take off again. Diving down the helicopter empty the tanks come back in just land right on top of that truck fill it up again go for it again wow that's pretty dope now he wasn't spraying our property he was spraying the properties around us they were just using our property because it was freshly clear cut to land the to land the helicopter on top of the truck i'm amazed things they use helicopter. those guys that work the linemen that work off of helicopters right where they're sitting out there in the skids and they're working on power poles and things right off the side of a helicopter i'm like that's some pretty ballsy stuff mm-hmm I got a buddy that just got certified to do all that. They're tied in. They'll be all right. Yeah. yeah. Flying helicopters next to power lines. You know, it's, eh. That's money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was reading like a, it was either reading a surf magazine or watching a surf video. And they were talking about like how great this trip had turned out for them video wise because they hired like this dude in Hawaii or California, wherever they were. And he was, you know, this is when I was younger, so 20 years ago. And he was a. So that would put this guy probably around 60 at the time. A Vietnam uh, uh, Kazavak pilot. So he was getting like in the tubes in this helicopter. Like they were getting down like as the waves are breaking and this guy's flying along like the side of the wave. You know, basically in imminent danger if he stayed in one spot. Flying it sideways with the, with the break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, Just doing wild stuff. They're like, we never had a helicopter pilot like this. He this flies left seat. surfing it. Yeah, he flies left seat. His nuts fly right seat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> it was probably the coolest thing I ever saw with a helicopter was I was working 
in South Georgia building a substation. And they were doing like a whole solar farm. I was We were building the substation for a solar farm. But on the edges of the solar farm, they had, you know, right away, this dude came in with that dang saw that had like mm. 16 saw blades yeah. on it, if not more, yeah, hanging from those. a helicopter, flying around. I got a video of it on my phone. He's flying around the outside of that thing, cutting the whole right away with a dang saw hanging from a helicopter. Yeah, I've seen those. those I saw that in the Carolinas. Yeah. It was it was, it was gobstopped like, you know, yeah. wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Mm-mm. move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel, from business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters. We all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammes' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050, or... 843-324-1727. Or email roman at romanvhamis.com. That's R-O-M-A-N at R-O-M-A-N-V-H-A-M-M-E-S dot com. Offices Florida and South Carolina. So, you know, what's funny, I asked Vincent the other night. I was like, when are we going to go frog gigging? And then Jim's like, oh, I'm going frog gigging with Vincent tonight. Hey, what's wait up? a minute. Show I up. Been, yeah. <laughs> Any I, night of the week, show <laughs> up. Where was my invite? Because I was supposed to be in Texas this week. So I my, my work, I, I'm, I have this off, and my work just canceled everything at work because I'm the only employee. And so when I was like, hey, what are we doing this week? And they're like, you're not working because you were supposed to be in texas and i was like great yeah but i told you last week that i wasn't going to texas anymore when they told me and he was like yeah but frog gets for closers man that's what's up <laughs> you gotta be on it no it's have funny. you closed on a turkey yet this year <laughs> i've closed on every turkey i've hunted this year <laughs> that's right which is none yeah that's right so it's funny because i texted vincent i was like if you want to get some of these raffle tickets you better get them now he's like no man i think i'm gonna wait and this i was like they're not gonna be available and they weren't literally like the next day gone um but that, that's all right I was like when are we going frog gigging he's like when it warms up and then i talked to jim the next day he's like yeah i'm going frog gigging with vincent tonight and i was like oh it's, st- it's guys, still a little cold yeah <laughs> before you guys get too bent out of shape um, Michelle I'm not, I'm not I, hating him for it. All right. I'm just Michelle and I on Sunday <clears throat> just decided to take a couple's trip over to Homosasa and go over to the, um, the 
freezer. It's a freezer. Yeah, yeah man. Just went over there and had some shrimp. And they were driving around, went out to the, the islands up there. I forget what they're called. The, the something or other keys. Just way out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, but on the way over, we were driving through Lake Pan. And I was like, I know a guy that lives over here. And I called up Vincent. And he and you were up in Chiefland closing a deal or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, I was um, taking a buyer. And I forgot how the subject came up. But um, I mentioned that I bought a boat. Or maybe you knew I bought a boat. No, you said you bought a new boat. I was like, all right, man, you taking that thing out yet? And you're like, only once. Yeah, and then uh, you were like, uh, let's go frog gigging. So we talked about going out Monday, and I was all about that until I realized halfway through the day, like, I can't go frog gigging tonight because Monday's our business call for the crawfish boil. And then you had to coach wrestling on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I think I called you up like at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, like, did we ever say we were going gigging or not tonight? And you're like, yeah, I can go. And it just kind of came together like that. But I didn't get out there till eight thirty. I don't think I hit your house till almost eight thirty. We didn't yeah. get out of water at almost nine nine thirty. Yeah, it's about the time I usually end up going out. You know, uh, it gives you uh, enough time to eat dinner with the family, and then the wife settles in to watch you know trash TV, and I get to slide outside door and go stab something. No, don't get me wrong. Now I, I want, I'm not hating on you because even if you're like, yeah, man, come with us tonight, I'd been like, ooh, but I got to work tomorrow. You know, the way my work <laughs> schedule's set up. You hate him because you ain't him. Yeah, Dude, it, it's, it's always rough the next day getting up because I take the kid to school in the morning. I'm always like sleeping through like five alarms before I end up being like, huh, what? what's that? So let me let me tell you a frog gigging story where uh-huh. we get deep into y'all's ventures last night. And mine may have been more successful than yours, but I had a house. I lived in southeast Georgia for a while in Allenhurst. Mm-hmm. And dude, we would stand in my backyard uh, and listen to these just big old bullfrogs in the retention ponds behind us. I did not have access to the retention whoa, whoa. pond. Oh yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, and uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I had a buddy in the army who was from New Smyrna Beach. We're standing there drinking beer one night. I was like, "Hey man, you want to see if we can gig these ponds back here?" He's like, "Yeah, man, let's go frog gigging." So I knew a guy who would let us access his through his yard to fish the pond behind his house. He stocked it with bluegill. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, uh, would you allow me to cut through your yard uh, after dark to gig some frogs? He's like, gig frogs? He's from Puerto Rico. I'm like, yeah. You know, we're like, stab them and then take them home and eat them. He's, you eat frogs? I'm like, yeah, dude. Frog legs are delicious. He's like, yeah, I, I don't care. He's like, I'll leave the gate unlocked. You can come through whenever you want. And I was like, all right, cool. So I was like, I will bring you some frog legs. So we're like, man, <clears throat> we got to get frog gigs. So we go to a cat, a, a dick sporting goods. They don't have any. Like, I'm not going to let that stop me. No. So I went and found, dude, on our right across the street from our hunting property that we had down the road from us was this dang maiden cane that's like 40 feet tall. That's like, what's up. <laughs> gig poles bud heck yeah and we cut them down cut them up and then you know split, split the ends the tips. sharpened yep. them and then put a spreader in there and we went to gigging there you go dude we had it was me my buddy joel and the two neighbor kids from down the street who wanted to go with us because my son at this time was like a year and a half maybe two two years old maybe something like that mm. uh, so he wasn't necessarily in age to wander around with me kicking frogs but those kids man He's like, stab the frog. And I'm like, dude, are you going to be a serial killer one day? Like, you creep me out a little bit. Like, you're a little too into this. But, dude, we filled a Stab him in his face, daddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're walking around with a dang 35-gallon 
handy trash bag, you mm. know, just stuffing them in the trash bag, man. Dude, we killed probably 15, 20 frogs that night. Big old friggin' bullfrogs. That's what's up. And then uh, I was like, yeah, we're going to do this again. And we're standing out there one night, no more noise. I'm like, dude, I think, you I think we them. killed all the frogs. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> Jim's like, there's no way that happens. I was like, oh, believe me. I hit Lake Pan so hard the first year I was there because I was so excited to be out gigging for the first time since, like, high school. I was out, like, every night. And it's a beer-drinking sport. Got beer in one mm. hand, gig in the other one, headlamp on the head. So I'll just be cruising, riding the front deck, stabbing. And then I love guiding people, so I'm on the back on the tiller driving and drinking a beer. But, uh, man, I hit Lake Pan way too hard. So I started letting the the other, the next generation, I try to let them slide. But the first frog you gig kind of sets the meter for the night. So, like, if you gig, like, a medium one off the bat, right, you're like, oh, that's about, that's pretty big. That's, like, you know, the biggest one we got in the boat. You know, so if you go out and you hit like a 14-inch frog off the bat, everything you pass, ah, oh, that's small. That's small. And you let a lot of stuff slide. But it, as you start killing the big ones, the, the the median frog size gets smaller and smaller. So you start accepting lower and lower frogs. <laughs> Before you know it, there's nothing left. You're like, dang it, man. I call, I give those to the kids at the at the frog fries. I'm like, it's for the kids, all the little legs. <laughs> so I, I usually go out around some areas near my house um and i'm gigging leopard leopard frogs out of the grass that are hunting spiders so i'm just grab, i'm bagging little frogs frogs that last night we didn't even look at nope. i'm happy with them man because i'll go i'll go rack 60 the damn things you know and it's just a good night i'm well, out there by myself with a little headlamp walking along the edges of the water and occasionally top right stab a bully you know but most of the little so that one we were running around last yeah. night and Vincent's like, ah, that one's too small. That one's too small. First one we got, you're like, ah, it's kind of a medium frog. The second one we got was fatty. Yeah, it was a pretty big one. But it's still a little chilly, so the bullies weren't, they really weren't out. But yeah. then we started cruising the lettuce. I don't really know what this stuff's called. It's called the lettuce. Yeah, water And you lettuce. can tell, you can kind of look, man, like the dolly weedy stuff, nah. But, man, you get into the lettuce. And as far as the green frogs go. Yeah, they're the like. ones that got that big old ear on them. I call them like green bullfrogs. They're like bullfrogs, but they don't. Oh, they, yeah, don't, they got, they got a big old round spot. Yeah, and they yeah. got a different ribbit. They all kind of eat the same, and the oh. air boaters go out in the pad fields and bust them up all the time. But, you know, I go out with a, a tiller or a mud motor and, and get them off the bank where the good bullfrogs are. But, um, you know, they're just not out right now. It's a little cold. Now, the water is low, which is great because the bank is like right up to the river right now. Normally, the bank would be like 100 yards back in to the Cypress, and then you're just out of luck because you'll hear them firing off, but they're way through the woods, and you ain't going to get back there. So when the water's low, and it's hot, and then it just rained like an inch, then they're all out, and the whole swamp's alive. But it's still a little bit early. I mean, Yeah, there pretty, was hardly any rivet. And, no. and pretty much everything we cleaned had eggs in it, so I try to kind of like wait until they kind of lay eggs and do their no, thing. And, I got something for y'all. Now, who, by a show of hands, who in this room owns a bow to bow hunt with? Oh. Three of us. Yeah. Okay. Who likes the frog gig? You don't own the bow. All but. of us. Doesn't matter. I got one right there. Yeah. I have a spot that I've now gained access back to that mm-hmm. I used to have access to a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, it should uh, be hot now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we used to frog gig out there, and I'm talking 14. We could fill a five gallon bucket full of 14 inch frogs. Mm-hmm. When we started frog gigging there, we thought, oh, 10-foot gig poles is fine. You're you're gigging frogs out of a, basically out of a wadi. A like rim ditch. deep ditch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we thought that we were going to be able to get at top of the ditch and stick them in the bottom. Wrong. You can't do that. 
Well, we found a way to do it where you can. You ride around the bed of a pickup truck with a spotlight. Yeah. With a bow, with a small game tip. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, a little yeah. tip that hides behind the head. Yeah, yeah. And we shoot them, you know, opposite side of the bank. You drive around, pick your arrows up, and put them in the bucket. I guess that's one way to do it. Dude. It I'd is just buy a, a bigger gig pole. Yeah, I would too. It's a freaking You couldn't, man. As soon as they saw that gig head, they were in the water. Yeah. Really? Well, you got to keep yeah. the light on them and blind yeah. them. I mean, no, them we're, jerkers we were stare at you like, Jesus, is that you? <laughs> nope, but you're on the way. <laughs> but the, but the thing is, dude, it's fun to gig frogs. But when you're talking, I'm not talking like a bow fishing rig. I'm mm-hmm. talking like you take your bow hunting bow, mm-hmm. shooting a field tip, and this little thing screws in behind the field tip, it just keeps it from burying too deep in the mud, and it keeps a frog from coming off the other side. Oh, I got like one that's like a little claw rip. No, thigh. that won't work. And then I'll, I also I, have the ones you shoot stumps with. Like if you just want to practice, you walk around in the woods, you can shoot stumps with it. It looks, it's got like little spring arms on it. That's it. Yeah. No, yeah. it's not it. Well, the spring arm things work too, though. No, yeah, yeah. You have to penetrate the frog. You can't just knock it unconscious. I'll, I'll show you afterwards. Okay. Uh, but blast with twenty-two shorts. You could, you but that would take the fun out of it. You're smoking really. frogs. You're smoking frogs at thirty yards with a bow. That's pretty cool. And you're shooting. I mean, you're shooting a, a a target the size of this, you know, beer can in a Yeti koozie at thirty yards. It's not an impossible shot. Right. But we would literally fill five-gallon buckets full of frogs doing that. And just ride up and down these wadis, the, the, the ditches, all night long. People use blow guns, too. You could. Good time with that. But you shoot sick. You ride down one side. When you ride down the ditch, you're shooting the opposite side of the ditch. Yeah. And then you get to the end. You're out of arrows. You start picking up your arrows. And you're mm-hmm. shooting back at the opposite Other side, side of the, the ditch. ditch. Yeah. When yeah. you run that ditch out, you go to the next one. Dude, we'd go till 3 in the morning doing that. Yeah. Sounds about... Right for frog gigging three but in the morning. We didn't start looking for the little green frogs till about midnight. We kind of just puttered around, just puttered around enjoying the, the outdoors. Yeah. Was, once once we, once we decided to go to the green frogs, if we had done that from the get go, we'd have, we'd have probably put a pretty good hurting on them. I don't know how many. What do you think we? We got get? nine. That's all we got was nine. Yeah. Counted. I thought we had more than that, but mm. and only one of them was a bullfrog. That okay. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I shoot him with that. Yeah, this right here goes that. behind your field tip. Oh, cool. Check that out. Got it. And they'll just straight smoke a frog. Cool. Yeah, uh, I've seen people uh, flies on a fly rod and flip it out oh, in front I'll of the frog. That. A little piece of red flannel. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Pick it up. So, But, uh, I mean, I just go to stabbing. I got a paint pole. Extends out to, like, 15 feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, bloop, just stab them in the ground, so. But, uh, yeah, because the ones we're getting, they're usually, you know, they sit back off the bank. They're on the bank, but they're back off the water, like usually in a buttress of a cypress tree or up under the branches. And you can spot them because you can see the yellow under their chin. It's kind of like the color of that core's light. I like to use an incandescent headlamp, like car headlight. That's a core banquet, by the way. Old school headlamps work better than the newer ones. The newer ones actually provide too much light. And everything. Well, they wash the color out because it right. has that real like blue white light as yep. opposed to that warm yellow light, and you it, I can pick up on the colors a little easier. There you go. That is a biggie. So yeah, Will's sharing uh, you know, some of the old frogs. photos. Man, that was photo was from uh, 2011. I mean, they're definitely out there. It's still a little early in the season, but the water's at a good level. Sometimes it gets too low, and I can't find them again because it hasn't really rained enough. Think they go and like kind of bury themselves in the muck somewhere to stay wet. It's got to be sticky out. Yeah, and the more humid and hot it is, you know. 
I tell you, I use my wife's hair as a frog hunting indicator. <laughs> she starts complaining. I'm like, oh, I'm going tonight. <laughs> Time to gig some frogs. <laughs> she we, can't uh, deal with these flyaways today. Going tonight. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was probably like it's got to be at least five years ago. Uh, I was out. I had my old man. It had to be more than that if I had my tracker. But I have old. Uh, I had a 1648 tracker with a 25 Subaru on it. Mm-hmm. It was a Mud Buddy, but the motor was a Subaru. And uh, I went out scouting for gators one night and come up in a cove in Little Lake Harris. It was before they had started spraying the piss out of Little Lake Harris. The mm-hmm. cove was slapped full of hydrilla. And we were drinking. So we had a cooler. And then we seen a bunch of frogs in there. And I said, let's Just- get some frogs. My buddy said snatching that we just started yeah you hang off the front turn the lights uh-huh. on the front hang up just snatch them open the cooler bam throw it in the cooler and then keep going <laughs> no, dude we had to snatch 30 frogs that night yeah i used to do a lot time of cleaning frogs after all you did was some snatching you better have some good ice in that cooler yeah they were nice and cold i said so you're gonna be chasing frogs yeah. across the driveway <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know we uh, vincent and i i don't know how it started i think because when i was a little kid when we first started whacking frogs, it was a pellet guns. And we used to try to shoot them in the head. Um, but I never knew there was a, I don't even know how I learned this, but always started just by grabbing the, the, the skin right at the base of their head with a pair of pliers and just whack, and it all comes off at once. Yeah. Kind of like you're peeling like a, like a squirrel where you cut behind the tail. I say all I've ever done, all I've ever done is take and run a knife around their waist and and then cut them with a pair of scissors. I'll tell you, that's why I used to do it till Jim showed me. I'd cut it the back and then I'd stab through their belly under your spine, rip it out, twist the head and throw it off and then clean the guts out with my fingers. And then I'd get a pair of pliers and and peel their pants off. But it gets hard because you don't have anything to hold on and you're trying to peel what you're holding. So what he does is he cuts them right behind the head. So you can get your pliers in under the skin and then just peels them from stem to stern and it'll peel the whole thing off, you know, like kind of like right behind the head, but it's, it's a, below their arms a little bit, their front arms. And it gives you something to hold on to and peel it right off. Are you, like, are you can. keeping more than just the legs? No, but the skin comes all the way off and yeah. then, you know, I, I keep the saddle back, you know, right where you pick the frog up and it kind of breaks at a little yeah. 45 degree angle. I just grab right there and twist and throw the head off. It, it never dawned on me there was another way to do it, but it's it's funny because yeah, there was, there was decades where I there's, there's probably like whole decades of my life where we didn't clean frogs. But um, from I was thinking, I, th- I was trying to remember where I learned that, and I'm thinking I don't think anybody taught me. I think it's just something we figured out as kids from cleaning pellet shot frogs, where that's where they would be hit, and you could get your pair of needle nose pliers in there and just whoink, and it all comes off at once man yeah it's so easy it was i just little... asked because i've never taken the guts out of frogs yeah well I, I cut them right behind the back and then i stick my knife under their spine and cut down and then i twist them throw his head off and then you know i kind of clean out what's under the bottom with my what, what, what you are get? you just cutting them right at the hips like the, the yeah oh no man just I, above the spine we take them from like well, right, mean, right under the rib cage yeah but i'm, I'm keeping that uh, like the a buck skin. you yeah. you would keep it above the hip. if you if you wanted to think about like uh in a person wise i'm cutting you like just above the belt line and peeling the skin from their back i kind of cut them like right under the rib cage keep yeah. that yeah. belly skin what, what would be bacon if it was a, a pig you yeah. know if, if it gets if, all crispy, if you want to get into it, there's not much meat on the front, but as you, it's kind of like an alligator, where the whole thing's alligator for the most part. With a frog, the whole thing's frog. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. If you yeah. peel the skin off it and pull the guts out and threw the whole frog in the deep fryer, I, there's more to eat. But for the most part, it's, it's really just that. legs and the... be interesting to try that. Yeah, I've done that. But especially the little dinky frogs that I've been shanking in the past, I mean, the, the, the front legs were tiny. Well, now you, you, gotta eat now you know the way. Yeah. yeah. Now you know the way. I'm like big frogs only. You know? <laughs> no, you know, we're I, just I, cruising the bank it's like 12s only 12 inches are only yeah you've got to have a mud boat to be able to do that or an airboat to be able to do it you can't get in there with an outboard to where the frogs really you are you can't do it with an airboat the way we do it either because there's no reverse on them jokers you'd have to shove off every time you want to back up yeah you know that's why they're always out idling in the pad fields and they'll run through the pads and leave a trail and then they make a circle back and then they sit and look down their trail and wait and the frogs will hop out into the trail then they idle by and hit them out of the high chair, put them in their frog bag. Hmm. So, yeah, but it was neat taking the boat out for the first time because all of a sudden I realized you, you, I forget all the stuff I've got in my other boat that I just have. Like, oh, I don't have a fillet knife, I don't have a cutting board, I don't have mm-hmm. extra bags. You know, I don't then, have uh, an idea how to use this tiller yet. <laughs> oh man, I tell you what, no, no, he's not. I was like the worst captain, like trying to, especially backing up. It, do you have or, reverse? I do. He oh. does. But it's not, I mean, the Critical. reverse on that, if you if it's in any muck whatsoever, it won't pull you back. You oh, it's not a pro more. drive, but no, you have no. reverse, right. which yeah. makes right. a huge difference getting it on a trailer. But. It does, but even with the tiller, because it's a, it's a it's a 17-foot boat, it's a little bit like turning a battleship. So when you put that, it is. you got to have that to get, uh, you got to have that tiller where I'm, I'm leaning way outside the boat to make a sharp turn. And and then I haven't quite gotten used to how it yaws or whatever a little bit. So just, just when do you start pulling it back out so that you don't overcorrect? So there was a whole bunch of times where we'd be a little tight and I'd be trying to bring Vincent on a frog. And you know, all of a sudden I realize I'm two feet left of where I want to be. And Fortunately, I'm an expert gigger. So I hit more than a few of them on a run. He did. Like a there's times. a frog back. He's we're, like, dang, sniper. We're, we're, idling, we're idling down the weed line, and he's up front. I'm in the back, and, I, and all of a sudden, I see Vincent coming come with a head of steam down the catwalk. Whack! Right off the back of the boat, man. he get one. Anything to keep Jim from using reverse. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. the nice thing about the catwalks, man. Yeah, no, they're cool. I don't have those in the Ginu, so, I mean, I have this weird modded-out classic that, uh, you know, a little kid walked up to me at Big Blue, and he's like, that boat looks like a mix between a duck boat, a gigging boat, and a bow fishing boat. And I said, you're very accurate, little sir, because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but it, I have Dude, this it's metal. nasty. It is. I have this metal deck that was made by uh, Mid-Florida Skiff. Uh, Forrest over there made it. And he's never made anything like it before. And what I sent it in there for and what I got back were two totally different things. But when I saw it, I was like, you know what? I ain't mad at it. I was like, that is actually a really good idea. Because I was like, listen, I want to deck mo- mount my trolling motor. I don't want it sticking off the bow. I don't want it in my way. So what I had I was an idea of like a little nose cap, like a foot down, you know, like the Ginu nose caps are, but like a little offset thing on maybe like some one-inch aluminum and then just weld in like a plate where I could put my puck and drop my motor on, right? And I had some pictures and I showed them. And I came in and they had the entire front third of the boat covered in aluminum. And it was like a walk-on deck. And he had it side mounted on that, like you would mount it on like a flats boat. I was like, dang, that that's actually pretty cool. I was like, so it's it's essentially a hunt deck on a Ginu now, and I have the only one I've ever seen, and I love it. It's awesome. I do love when I see a boat or a truck or anything 
and you take one look at it and you're like, that's a killing machine. Yeah. I've got some bow fishing spots that I think we need to try this summer that we haven't, we not in my recent memory, like I haven't bow fished there that back in the day were just primo crystal clear water shooting catfish, stingrays, mullet, tilapia, mm. gar, everything well, you can shoot with a bow fishing reel. This is an open invite for anybody listening to come kill all the mud fish in Lake Pan, and there's plenty of them to shoot. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it, Lake Pan is is a pretty pretty cool lake. It's a pretty good lake. I mean, we do have a fair amount of mud fishing there, so I do my best to uh, kill all of them. Dude, I hooked a mudfish one time on a rattle on a, a crankbait and straightened my hook out. Mm, yeah, they got a real bony mouth. They're hard to set a hook on, so they'll just destroy a bait half the time, you know. But sometimes I get them in the boat, and uh, then they usually get clubbed on the head and thrown on the bank. Such so. a great fight for such a terrible, you know. I, that's you, that, you know, this is hotly contested because they are native. People confuse them all the time for the uh, snakehead snake for the snakehead, and they're not a snakehead and. Um, we don't have snakeheads this far north that I've seen yet. And people are like, well, they're natural. And, yeah, they're natural. But when we get these, you know, algae blooms and, and stuff that's not natural or the lake gets real hot and real low on oxygen, the mudfish flourish because they're a lungfish. They have, like, a third swim bladder or something. They're, that they they're can like use. gar. Yeah. So they, they flourish, and then they outcompete the bass because they're, they're hunting the same prairie resources. And, um you know, so the the numbers in the lake can blow up in a hot summer. So, you know, I just thin them out a little bit. You know, the bass there are healthy and, you know, so. As I understand it, what we're calling, by the way, what we're calling a mudfish is what is technically called a bowfin. A bowfin, bow yeah. yeah. Grinnell, there's a lot of names for them. Which I got, I got to sit in on an internet argument and watch two people go, it's a bowfin. No, it's a mudfish. And I finally explained to the guy, I was like, common name? It's the same thing. Mudfish. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe, or Chloe. Uh, what is it? Colloquial name is mudfish. Latin. Yeah, colloquial name is a mudfish. Its common name is a bowfin, and it's you know uh, two part you know genus species name. I have no idea, so I don't really care. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm a fisherman. <laughs> so I know it can be done, and I understand that they they do make good, like you can make fish patties out of them. That there's a way to do that, but I think it's uh, as I understand, it, I think that you. You kill that fish like right away and get the fillets off them. Yeah, you know, get the fillets on ice because they do not, they don't age well at all. For them and gar, I've seen people clean them with tin shears and they stick them in and cut down the back and cut it out from the top. Now you know you talk about some eating some fish and bow fishing, and Jim made these gar balls, garboulet, boulettes, garboulets, French. You gotta make it sound fancy. But uh, even Briar, who doesn't like fish, devoured those dang things. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta give this a try. It's gotta be like a gar fish hush puppy or something. It's literally what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. it looks like a hush puppy. But so, dude, they are crab cake killer. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, killer. I mean, you know, it gives me something to do with uh, all the the gar to shoot. Which once I get my lights set up on the airboat and a trolling motor on there, we go do what some I, bow fishing. What I hate seeing is. All the dead fish around the ramp. Were the, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, we pulled up at the ramp the other day, and Jim's like, what's that? I said, that's a dead gar. The bow fishermen's were probably here. And look, I get it, and you can't eat them all for all that you shoot. And, you know, the ecosystem's probably a little better balanced that you shoot some of these monster gar off or whatever. And if you want to eat one or two, fine. If you don't want to eat any, I don't care. 
But when you pull back up to a public boat ramp and you dump 20 dead gar on the boat ramp, yeah, like you're going to start pissing people off. And then you get all the Karens calling. And before you know it, like, look, they've passed airboat bans in lakes. I don't think it'd be too hard for them to pass a bow fishing ban in a lake yeah. if there's just constantly 100 dead gar on the damn ramp. So, like, go to the middle of the lake and dump them. I don't care. Bro, you could fertilize do, a garden with them. No dude, I mean, you come could, on. Yeah, if you compost, go for it. Everybody's wife these days is getting into gardening. So. Exactly. Or if you're like me and you have a Spanish grandma, she'll just eat anything. So just bring them by. You joke like that. Gar right? is really good fish. People think it's a trash fish. And it, admittedly, it is a challenge to clean because you have to have tin snips or a K-bar knife or both to pop open that shell. But man, once you once you clip through that that outer armor, it's real easy to pull out those long, big, bright the, white fillets. On the big ones, you get a fillet that's on the inside of the ribs too. Yeah, you get mm. four fillets. Out. Yeah, no, the, like the meat is there, and the eggs will kill you. I in guess, my, but. in my opinion, boiler. Yeah, they're toxic. Really? Oh, I didn't know. That. Yeah, like, don't like, eat, don't eat no gar caviar. caviar. I, I don't eat uh, eggs. Again. My my opinion, chickens. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you I'm don't eat like trout eggs and stuff like that. Oh, dude, I nah. mow those things. Anyway. The little red ones they put on my California roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say is I've had gar just straight, like lemon pepper on the grill. It mm-hmm. tastes very similar to alligator. Really? Yeah. yeah. What it does have, so if you've got a long white filet, perpendicular, there's cartilage all through it. It's a, it's a, it's just a filament cartilage. Oh, right. So... Um, my preferred way of preparing it is doing it just like you were doing crabs. Mm. So I'll usually, but I'll take to keep the the fish from coming apart. I'll take it and put in a little bit of um, a little bit of cloth, tie it up. Do do it in crab boil just like you were doing crabs, and then yeah. let it sit so it sucks up all that goodness. So you're like the intrepid eater over here. He knows how to cook things. I just well, we know the intrepid eater. down. Intrepid yeah. intrepid eater's been on our show. Podcast. I know. We've yeah. been fishing. I know. He so, made us. He made us sushi on the boat with a fish that we went here. Make sushi with that after we caught it, and it was sashimi. Outstanding. But, oh, outstanding. Yeah. Nice. So at any rate, man, once you, then you could just take once it's all cooked and sucked all the seasoning in. You just take your fingers and you shred it, and you ha- essentially have what is almost indistinguishable from flake crab meat. Oh, nice. Um, but if you don't want to, and if you don't want to go through all that trouble to do that, you can just take it and put it into a food processor and just and it'll grind all the filament up into the point where you hardly know it's there or most of it you don't know is there but occasionally you get like a little big piece man that sounds like a lot of work uh my method of burning things and choking it down is a little easier so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well anyway man so those those fillets on the inside though the fillets on the inside from the inside of the ribs you you don't get that filament yeah. in there okay cool, yeah, cool it's just straight meat and it's, it's delicious the, it's like a muscle of support like the it's like a tenderloin yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what the flaming guard tenderloin yeah. Yeah. and to will's point the smaller fish <coughs> the, the cartilage isn't as pronounced nice. but when you, you get into one that's four four and a half feet long um it's got i mean it's got fillets in it as big around as a beer can nice but you're gonna have you're gonna have a little more of that but it, it doesn't Size doesn't affect the taste. It doesn't even really affect the texture. But for all those listening, man, if you're tossing gar, it's... You're missing out. Yeah. Keep and if you're shooting them, don't shoot them if you ain't going to eat them. They ain't hurting nothing out there, you know. Yeah, but they're fun to shoot. I know, but 
Dude, I so we were, we're going down. We're going down a river one day, oh, and I saw I saw like a four like the foot, hog of the lake. I saw a four foot gar carrying a straight toad of a of a bluegill. <laughs> nice, I, I like, dude. Like, like I'd that have been proud dark of, purple. I would have been. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I would have been. I would have been super proud of that bluegill, but almost equally as a proud of that the size of that gar. Yeah, going to, uh, the, uh, you can catch them. Uh, people make flies for them. You just like take a rope. And you throw a couple wraps around it, and then you know, uh, throw a couple loops in your rope, and then you fray the end of the knot out. That, and then you tie that to your line, just like straight onto your line through the little eyelet that you made. And you fray that out, and when you throw it in front of them, their teeth get tangled in it because they got a real hard mouth. They're hard to set a hook on, but they grab that frayed out hook or that frayed out rope, and they can't get their teeth untangled, and they don't want to let it go either. So then you just I just then they start it twisting there. it. Yep, yeah. yeah. So. I just I just hit him in the head with a rattle trap. Cast over him, bump him in the side of the face, and they like reaction strike at it, mm. and then you're good to go right there. Yeah, well, it's the end of those hooks, though. Works 100 percent of the time, 60 percent of the time. There you go. <laughs> yeah, when you get a gar, there's when you have a gar, you either have it or you don't. There's there's not much hook spitting. Yeah. Oh no. Right? Yeah. No. It's yeah. it's on there. If it's on there, it's on there. If it's not, it's it's not. Yeah. But they yeah. put up a good fight. If you can get a good size one, yeah, I've, I've fought a good couple yeah. into the boat. Yeah, you know, it ain't a bad fight. It's kind of like a freshwater ladyfish or whatever. Not quite that cool, but like they don't in, jump. in terms yeah. of like you know bycatch, the thing you weren't trying to catch, right? You know, it's like you're going out after reds. Oh, got a ladyfish. You know, you're going out after bass. Like here's a gar, I guess, or a we, mudfish. We choked. We caught a ladyfish years ago. Yeah, some good size ones, and um. Like, yeah, what the hell? Give it a shot. And we cleaned them. And we knew they were bony. And we fried them. And the meat was actually pretty good. Like, fry up a ladyfish, it's good. The problem is, there are so many bones and so fine that you're you're literally taking your life in your hands to eat that stuff. We're sitting there trying to, like, pick through the bones. And you think you got them all. You're like, you're like picking the bones out. And you think, I think I got them all. And you swallow. And also, what? You're like, <laughs> the cat choking up a hairball, man. They make excellent cut bait. Yeah, oh, yeah, they do. They do. That's Redfish good. candy. Yeah, they're great cut bait. So. Man, I was out through Ozella the other day, and I seen a couple of houses on islands out there too, man. That's and where it, I was, Ozella. Yeah, yeah. That, that just that that fascinates me. There's a, there's got to be. A, I know there's a limited number of those, and like, man, I want a house on an island so bad. One of them was for sale somewhere out there on the coast. Um, so Zella or around Crystal River somewhere, because I I, was, I pulled it up on the MLS the other day because I was like checking out those islands that I drove by. And I think it's out for like eight fifty right now, but uh, I actually have an island for sale in Lake Griffin. So, <laughs> so how's the how's the hunting property market looking in Florida? Um, well, hunting land is a scarce commodity in Florida, as you know, development encloses on us ever so slowly and at a more rapid rate these days, but uh. You know, it's getting better for buyers, that's for sure. Uh, most people who look for hunting land, they go north. You know, they're probably north of Marion. Le- Levy County, Marion area is not a bad place to start, uh, especially if you want deer of any size. Um, but I've, I've seen monsters come off of some of the leases down south yeah, in Likes Brothers. W- what if I wanted to own my own 20-acre piece of paradise? Like, I, I, don't, I don't care so the so market is size, getting but being able to just walk out my back door and go you know what i'm gonna swack a doe or swack you know yeah. shoot something the market's getting better for buyers um 
we're still in a shortage. I'm not seeing the amount of inventory that I'd like to see on the market, but the prices are starting to come down a little bit because any of the overflow that we got from the residential market when we had that run on Florida when the COVID refugees were coming out of the uh, terrible laws that they voted for in the Northeast to set up in sunny and free Florida um, is really ebbed away now that they've lifted a lot of those restrictions up there. It's not a pressing matter for them to move anymore where at the time they were like, I got to leave. I can't even leave my house. So, you know, people were snowbird and were staying, and it was causing an outsized uh, number of, of buyers in our market, I think. And you don't see that so much in land, but we do catch a little bit of the overflow because when the housing prices get really high, people say, well, I'll just buy 10 acres and put a house on it. Right. You know, so um, some of those smaller tracks, you do have to compete with the residential, potential residential prospect buyer that's going to buy it to build a home. And that can drive the price up. I just sold 10 acres in Lake County uh, for, I believe it was 273, which really kind of puts people out for hunting, you know, but it was on a hard road. Actually, but the, the thing walked is too, up though, on a bunch of turkeys in there too, by the way. What I'm asking you about, like that piece of paradise, I fully intend to buy that 10 acres, build a house on it, and then hunt the other nine and a half. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, so getting to the point, I mean, it's, it's getting better. It's turning into more of a buyer's market. Some of the height of the COVID craziness of April, 2022 is really kind of, you know, almost, uh, 12 months behind us now. So, um, it's turning back to a buyer's market. It's still just as slim as it's been, but if you're on it and you're hot to trot and you, you know, get on it when it comes out, you can pick up a pretty good place for, you know, a slightly reduced price from this time last year. You know, it's kind of turning that corner, which is nice, you know. Um, but, you know, as a buyer, you really have to be quick on the trigger. You have to know what you're looking for. And if you find it in the first place, know that that's likely the place that you should buy. If it's everything you wanted, don't go look at five other places and then come back to buy that place because it won't be there anymore. And that's the way it always is. And with buyers, especially if they're just getting into the market, it usually takes me missing one or two of them before they're like, all right, we got to get serious. And they'll go look at it and be like, we're putting a contract in now. I'm like, that's how you buy land. You know, so whether you do your homework on the computer or you're just really sure of your instincts, you got to be quick on the trigger because if you see it and you like it, buy it. You know, so, I mean, and there's some, I mean, there's always room for negotiation. Everything in real estate's a negotiation, but, um, you know, if you got to consider your opportunity cost, if your hurt feelings are worth $20,000 for you, don't negotiate it off the top of the price. Just give them what they want and then you can be happy with what you got. Um, but you know, then again, like if you're buying it and your plans are to maybe sell it in three years, you know you might be a little bit more selective. Maybe you don't, you know, but if you're going to buy it and like, this is my 20 acres and I'm going to keep it for the next 20 years, you know, land's kind of always going up. They're not making more of it, but it does ride the ups and the downs, you know, but uh, yeah, it's getting to be a good time. You know, again, if you're a buyer, you're the average guy who wants to hunt, start looking around for five or 10 acres again. So, yeah. I'd argue it starts... The land buying process starts a lot earlier than a lot of people think. I mean, it does. What I mean by that is, when every real estate agent's run into this, you know, the person's like, "I want X," and, and then 
you know, you know, if you don't qualify your buyer really well, mm, you realize yeah. that they may want, you know, want with one hand, you know, you heard that phrase. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the bank underwriters the get involved. And especially if it's, if it's unimproved land. They don't realize you're like you're not going to go get an eighty twenty loan on unimproved land. Like, no, you might get no. one fifty fifty if you're pledging other things. What I mean is, if you if you're going to buy a piece of land for two hundred fifty thousand, the banks might finance half of that. Um, if you've got other assets and things like this, where they're pretty clear you can make it, but you're not just going to go out and say, "Well, I can afford the payment." They're so not going to do that. They do like twenty to twenty five percent down, uh, but it's like usually on the short terms, like ten years. Um, yes. and you can't go in and be like, well, I just want to buy a place to hang a stand. Um, typically they want some kind of agricultural diversification that's going to ensure the value of the property beyond, you know, like I'm just looking for some really huntable woods, you know, because, uh, I'm going to plant turnips, soybeans, and uh, beets <laughs> that, That's right. Well, you know, for, for the most part, if you got some, uh, mercantile timber on the property, that'll do it. And, uh, I mean, I always tell people when you look at timber on a property, uh, especially if it's already mature, look at it as a rebate on your land because you can move in, cut those trees, and get paid pretty well for it. I mean, back when the lumber was insane and you were paying $100 a sheet for plywood, we sold pulpwood for like 1500 an acre up in North Carolina, you know, uh, on my wife's farm. So we did pretty good with it. Um, so, you know, good timber, you know, it does actually equate into somewhat of an investment. Like, you're not going to make your entire living off of doing timber unless you know you own a skitter and that's what you do for a day job but if you plant some timber you get some money back you know it's a, it's a 20-year crop but it'll get you your ag exemption and um you know and it keeps the value of the land somewhat more stable so and you got to be patient in that too because you timber your land and you're probably not going to deer hunt it for oh yeah yeah it looks like first when they five even uh, if you get no, a great no, see, crew. I, I, I disagree with that because you timber your land the first year after after you clear cut a place, primo. All right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of land. The second year, not so great. The third year, much better. The fourth year is hell. But by the, about the fifth year, when everything's grown up and you can finally get your lanes cut. It's 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 good for the next to whenever the timber grows back. Yeah, it takes a while. So like planning on selling your land uh, and you want what you think it's worth out of it. And, you know, I can do the research, but people usually have a number and, you know, you have trees on it that are cuttable. Don't cut all of them and try to sell it because you're not going to be able to find a buyer for a while because yeah nobody wants just yeah, yeah. fallow land even if you get a nice crew that really does their best to try to keep the place clean and they don't, you know, leave hydraulic fluid five gallon buckets everywhere i mean it still looks like a bomb went off in the place we, we had a we had a place in uh southwest georgia where they came in like oh we're gonna clear cut we're, we're gonna cut we're gonna come through and cut only the harvestable pine from amongst a lot of hardwood yeah like a thinning yeah well oh. that turned into oh yeah the entire property yeah. just mm. sliced um but they left a 30-yard buffer around, as they were supposed to, around the borders of the property. Mm. So you couldn't see the clear cut from the road. And then around the creek bottoms. When they did that, the first year, the deer continued to move like the woods were still there. The mm. second year, they wise up to it and things start to get thick. So it's a bit rough, but it's still okay. The third year, things get super thick in that clear cut. Right. And then now the deer hide in the clear cut you're you're talking about if they leave it fallow yeah yeah no but if they if they if they cut it it. and then replant it 
you know, oh, the you, same you've, thing got, you've got to wait for the trees to get, get, get big high enough that up. you can yep. then start hunting underneath them in a ground blind. Well, that's not, right? that's not entirely, that's not <laughs> you entirely true. You have to wait for them right? to get big enough for you to maintain you're, you're the talking, ground. You're talking if, if you were hunting timber company property, yeah. right? So they, if you're hunting timber company property and they clear cut it, and then they come through and they replant it, they will kill everything that competes with the pine trees. If you're hunting true. your piece of property or a piece of like privately owned property, they come through and replant it. The nine times out of ten, the property owner is not going to pay to have them spray everything between the pine trees. No, we hunt land. So everything, yeah, everything grows up anyway until the brushy. pine trees get tall enough. Yeah. I will say though that like when we had that property, Dad had that piece, that one fifty in South Georgia. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, it was. But freshly after they cut it, we put all the trails in. I took a piece, so I missed that. But we put all those trails in, so we were able to hunt. Yeah, you, you we had, where they were we had moving forestry come in it. and cut fire breaks. Uh, we Is got that who cut those fire breaks, or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's a good time to add trails if you're going to do yeah. it, and it's also a good time to claim that they've always been there. After that, like, oh, they've always been there. But the thing is, is they left all the trees around the creek bottoms and stuff. So, dude, you could go sit in the bottom Required on the edge deer. of clear cut, and the deer would just funnel right to that creek bottom because yeah. the woods are there. Got to have the right pair in there, uh, man. Dude, I've got a nice nine point inside that I killed, probably pre clear cut, but off that property. Mm-hmm. We have a piece on, well, we lost a, this 250 acres, and that's exactly what he did. They left those buffer zones around the creeks. And last season, it was very much like a bomb went off. But the last time I was up there, you already had the um, inkberry and whatever they call that stuff starting to come back up, and it was about a foot high. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that is, that's nirvana. No. So now I'm very much, very much interested in trying to get hold of the the new fellow that owns it. Um, it was a family split, and you know, say please, like, yeah. what, what do you want? <laughs> so the only the only issue I've ever run into hunting uh, hunting clear cuts, especially when you're on timber property, is when you're in like southeast Georgia. I don't know if they do it everywhere. I, I don't think they do it everywhere in Georgia, but when they in southeast Georgia when they replant pines, so, excuse me, they mound them. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck trying to walk across that shit in the dark. Mm-hmm. You have to walk with it. <clears throat> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. It will guide you to where you're going to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. a nightmare. What's always fun is when they don't plant them like perpendicular with the property line. So you're like, oh, the diagonal. Yeah. 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 And you kind of think you're heading in one direction, but it's just slightly askew. So now you're like, <laughs> like way off somewhere else. Oh, I had a piece like that, and and I was like, oh man, these things are just—they must have hand planted. These are scattered. And I was walking, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, they're just diagonal. Yeah, you're just looking at them from the wrong yeah, direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but once the once you get a path like that, or once those trees grow up, they do help the deer walk in straight lines. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gonna walk right down. <laughs> it, it creates a funnel. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the fatal funnel. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a good time. I mean, it's always a good time to be in the land business. Now as the market takes a dip is when the cash buyers tend to come out. They're smart. They've held on to their money, and they're ready to go. And that's the, that's the best way. Honestly, it's the best way to buy land because you can move quick. There's not a lot of contingencies, if any, on the contract. And, you know, we're 30, 45 days to closing, depending on if they want a survey or not. So, you know. In a parallel universe, one time somebody asked Sir John Templeton, who's the founder of Templeton Funds, which is now Franklin Templeton Funds, they asked this man, what's the absolute best time to buy stocks? And his answer was, when 
everyone you know is doing everything they can to sell them. Yep. Same for real estate. Yeah, it's like being the last guy in the barracks with a hundred bucks the day before payday when everyone's trying to buy cigarettes. You buy a PS5 for like forty dollars, and they'll get paid the next day. Go out and buy another one, but they want a pack of Reds tonight. Boy, yeah, I, yeah you're telling me I sold a roll of Cope, uh, of uh, Grizzly Wintergreen back when you could get a roll of that for like twelve dollars for thirty five bucks. There you so, go. Yeah. Been there. Supply and demand. Gotta love exactly. exactly. <laughs> Be the man with, uh, you know, the goods when everybody wants them and you're in a good spot or, you know, be the man with the cash when everybody doesn't have any and you're also in a pretty I d- good I didn't spot. Even, I didn't even dip Grizzly. I just knew that at one point we were in JRTC in Fort Polk, Louisiana. Somebody was going to run out of dip and they'd buy that whole roll for an, an exorbitant amount of money. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like I yeah. kept it the whole time. You, you go to the field, you always bring like, you know, I'm, I'm running like a kiosk out of the top of my rucksack. What, what you need? You need some Copenhagen? Yeah, you, you, you need go some to the, you go to the in, the in the military, you go to the field for an extended period of time. You get guys that don't even smoke cigarettes, got a whole carton. That's right. Lance Coolies, <laughs> man. <laughs> That's how you do it. You got that Lance Corporal Underground Network. I mean, every once in a while you see an officer looking like he's lost, stumbling to the enlisted tent. Hey, uh, is Lance Corporal Phelps around? You got any smokes? Yeah, you got any smokes? I got you, sir. What you need? (laughs) Is that a Domino's pizza in there? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You guys got any closing thoughts? Jordan? Jim? I'm looking forward. I don't know if... I'm going to have to cut this out if I'm giving it away, but one of our members who's not here is not here because he's making centerpieces for his No, opinion. man. You know what? I'm gonna, we're going to leave it in there. Briar is getting married. Congratulations, Briar. I hope you listen to this. Yeah, yeah man. Congratulations because we're, uh, we're already planning the bachelor party. Oh, that means yeah. I'm officially the last marital status single one. Well, uh, I will tell you this, Briar. If you're listening, you're going fishing. We'll leave it at that. We were 50-50 on Briar getting married. We're about 90-10 on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jordan's already bought a panel van off of uh, Facebook Marketplace for the abduction. <laughs> uh, no, congratulations, Briar. No, I'm just going to marry an immigrant for like 60 bands and all good. <laughs> It'd be funny yes. if he actually does and then the uh was it the INS or whatever gets a hold of this. <laughs> Old Jordan, a couple of years, a goonie goo goo. He would send his wife back. No, 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 I'll marry that one for real, bring her back. <laughs> but yes, yes, sir. Congratulations, Briar. And uh my closing thought, and we touched on at the beginning of the episode, is uh treat out-of-state hunters the way you would want to be treated as an out-of-state hunter because at some point as a hunter we all end up as an out-of-state hunter it's and you're gonna get what's coming to you oh yeah so i'm just gonna say put your time in i think i've said it before i think i said it last podcast but uh put your time in because i have never really been a turkey hunter and i've started to put my time in this year I will kill a turkey. I don't care if I have to hit it with my truck. I will kill a turkey for the end of the season. Turkey, turkey observer. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. I don't care if I have to hit it with my truck. I will, I'll kill one for the end of the season. I will shoot it again hey. with a twenty-two Magnum from 200 yards if I got to. A turkey is dying for the end of the season from my hands. Windshields in Florida are free with insurance. Exactly. We'll catch you guys next week. All right.